Welcome to another podcast by InsideCarolina.com, the independent voice of UNC sports. Your home for Tar Heel football, basketball, and recruiting. I'm your host, Tommy Ashley. I'm joined by Dewey Burt. You're listening to the Inside Carolina podcast. First time we've had Dewey on in a while. Dewey, uh, holidays, you've been busy, but first of all, thanks for joining us. How you been, man? Everything's good. Uh, Merry Christmas and Happy New Year and uh, had a great Christmas. First one, my little two-year-old daughter understood what was going on, so that was fun for us. It indeed. It, it, like I said off the air, it's what it's all about, to see the see the children and their eyes light up. And uh, when they get two, they start figuring it out, and it's a pretty cool thing. So I know y'all had a great one. Um, they only get better. They only get better until they get teenagers, and then they don't care about you anymore. So <laughs> so, you, so you've got a while. I do. Let's, let's talk a little North Carolina basketball. Carolina coming off the win off uh, over Harvard, and – 10 and three non-conference schedule non-conference slate was pretty much brutal. I think they're pretty much on par where I expected them to be maybe a game off, Uh, but your overall thoughts before we dig into the nuts and bolts. I think that's fair. I think they're, I maybe would have been more happy with 11 and two just sounds better, feels better. And realistically they, lost two of the three games uh, against the three best teams they played. They shouldn't have lost to Texas. I think that was that's clearly the worst loss on the slate uh, in terms of the quality of the opponent. But the worst we played was probably against Michigan. Uh, the Kentucky game still frustrates me even weeks later just because – I just they're just not that good in my opinion and that was such a winnable game but they outworked us which has kind of been one of our themes that we've talked about and just it just feels like a B a B plus right that's kind of how everybody feels I think Um, flashes of really solid offense Cam has been great at times Luke's been great obviously Kobe Texas game shown flashes and we're still all waiting for for Nasir to really break out but I think the bigger thing to discuss is how we've struggled defensively and how we've struggled taking care of the basketball. And two things that Coach Williams day in, day out is harping on at practice and always has, and it's just not translating. Even against Harvard last night, I know we had some some spurts where we played better, but it just it just feels like a B. You know, does that does that make sense to you? That's kind of where how I feel about it. Yeah, I, I would tell you this and I'm I'm with you maybe B meet B minus I think a lot of Carolina fans are, are a little spoiled so they think 10 and 3 maybe a C area but I think we, we'd agree and let's talk about it a little bit is on the defensive end of the floor uh, they just I can't figure it out you know I, I don't understand it and we've talked about it and at times they look really good but the majority of the time they just look lost and it's not a a one person thing. It's no. not one, it's not one guy. So talk about that a little bit. I mean, they go over it and practice, <laughs> you know, they practice every day. You've got a hall of fame coach. I mean, just what have you seen that's not clicking yet? Now it, I think it will, but it better if this team wants to achieve any of its goals, but where do you think the disconnect is and how is it correctable? It's hard to say where the disconnect would be not being there every day other than you just kind of take what what you can yield from watching. 
you know, you know, they're good kids. They want to do the right thing, but wanting to do the right thing and understanding actually doing it and doing it at the right place and time is are two different things. And you can't be a good defensive team if you struggle guarding the ball, if you struggle with the pick and roll, if you overhelp in the wrong at the wrong times and places and give up open threes. I, I mean, and then against the better teams also lose the backboard. I mean, you, you can't, you can't do everything wrong or, or the, the bulk of the things defensively that we focus on incorrectly and be a good team. So it starts with Kobe and it starts with Kenny guarding the basketball better. And then it's the bigs doing a better job on however it is we're guarding the ball screen. You saw Coach Williams talk about it after the game that they did some different things on the pick and roll. We're constantly doing different things depending on the other team's personnel and do we want to squeeze the bigs or switch or double the the guard with the ball? You know, we've got so many options, but it's one thing to have options and things that you practice. But if they the players don't execute it correctly, you just keep getting exposed. And so if you can't guard the ball and if you can't guard the pick and roll, then the other guys, whether it's if, if the guy guarding the ball gets beat, the other four have to help. Or if the people in the pick and roll mess it up, the other three have to help. And you're giving up open shots and, and a lot of layups at the rim. Even the Gonzaga game, which we played terrific, terrific offensively, I thought we were brutally bad in the second half defensively. I mean, they got layup after layup after layup. We just shot the ball so damn well that it it, it didn't look as bad as I really felt that it was. So it's a, I don't have an answer for it. I know what coach is teaching, and we can get into that if you want. It's just they're not executing. They're doing everything a step slow, a step wrong, and we get exposed possession after possession. I see, and a lot of people are talking about the switching screens and how they mixed it up against Harvard, and we've yeah. talked about that a lot, and we can get into it a little bit. But what I noticed, and I was trying to watch Nas on, on defense, it just looks to me at times that his eyes are in the wrong place. And, and I know that's tough to see on television, but you assume if somebody's head's looking one direction, their eyes are close to that. I mean, does that make sense? Guys are – you're supposed to see both, but guys are losing their man and especially happens in the pick and roll a lot. Yeah. Talk a little bit about uh, defending that play specifically, because that's the play that's killing North Carolina. That's the play that if I'm an opposing coach and I've got a big man that's got any skills, I'm running it 95% of the time. Right. Have court set. So talk, let's talk about defending that and what Carolina needs to do better. And let's be clear, what you've said before, and, and we will agree, there's a reason why the NBA runs a screen and roll so, so often. Because executed correctly, it's almost impossible to stop if your perimeter player with the ball is skilled enough to make every right read and, and right play, and the, the roll man or the pick-and-pop guy can make shots and dive to the rim, right? I mean, you can't guard it if those guys are elite at executing. But that's the issue is we haven't necessarily been playing against elite execution of the pick and roll, and we still haven't guarded it well. So it's a, complica a complicated question to answer because it's dependent on what have the coaches said in terms of this is our scheme for this team or this player, or even we've switched it at halftime before. Um, but our standard high hedge and let your teammate go under you and then sprint back to your man, we have been incapable of executing. And number one, it starts with earlier in the game, our point guards just getting beat off the dribble. So they're in 
a retreating position anyway because they're worried about getting beat to the basket. And then they get run into a screen by a 6'10 guy. Now they're a step slow. Then our big is a step slow on the hedge. So our guard can't recover. And all of a sudden you've got a perimeter player with good handle at 12 feet getting to the rim to finish, making the right pass to a perimeter player, dumping it to the roll man like we saw a couple times against Michigan. So how do they get better at it? I mean, part of it's just toughness too. It's just deciding that I'm not going to get beat by the pick and roll, the point guard. I'm not going to let the big guy screen me. I'm going to fight over harder. I'm going to redirect the dribbler. And our big is going to hustle harder. You know, his job in the in the standard hedge and recover is to get all the way high and get his numbers to the sideline. Not numbers to the corner, not numbers towards the backboard, numbers to the sideline. Why? Because that's the best way to truly reroute the dribbler. And if you don't do that, if you're not mentally committed to that, then he gets a more direct line to the basket. And now your team is in a four four and five situation because you haven't done your job. So unfortunately, without everybody doing their part better, we're going to keep struggling unless we just say, hey, we're going to trap the dribbler every time or we're going to play small and we're just going to switch everything like you saw some of last night. You know, at some point, coach will just make an adjustment and just say, look, we we are we are not able to guard the ball screen the way we have done it for the last 30 years, and we're going to do something else. So let's go best case scenario to worst case scenario for defending the ball screen. If you do it perfectly, what's your best case scenario on the play? If you're playing defense against it, and it's kind of a weird question, it's kind of hard to talk about, but if I've done my job, what has happened on to the offensive team? Yeah, yeah, got it. So, so first, if I'm Kobe and I'm guarding the ball, and let's say you know it's a home game, and more or less the opposing point guard is right in front of where Coach Williams usually stands, right? So call it not not foul line extended, but top of the key extended over on the sideline. So the first thing I'm thinking as Kobe is I've got this guy on the sideline. I want to keep him here. I want to try to not let him get back to the middle of the floor. Uh, and so I'm going to get my right shoulder, right foot up high and try to force him down towards the corner. So that's my first idea. That's the first thing I'm thinking. Then if the screen is coming, I hope my teammate is very vocal and lets me know early, you know, if it's Garrison or Sterling, I'm letting Kobe know screen, right, screen, right, screen, right. So now as Kobe, I'm aware I got a screen coming and I know my job is to fight over the screener and get under my teammate. That's my job, over the screener, under my teammate. So if I can do that, I fight over the screen, don't get pinned, don't allow him to make good contact with me, and get over the screen. And now my teammate, Garrison or Sterling or whoever, has hedged. So that big, after calling the screen, sprinting up to get in position for the hedge, and I get my numbers to the sideline. So if we're, again, if we're at the Smith Center, my numbers are facing where the announcers are sitting fully parallel not to the corner not facing the basket i'm talking about my my back my back is to where the announcers are sitting and that is going to force the dribbler to reroute and go around me change his path just enough that kobe can go over the screener and then get under me me being garrison in this example under me and recover and effectively cut the dribbler off by the time he gets to the top of the key, right? So now Kobe's done his job. He's cut off the dribbler. He got over the screen. 
And when that guy rolled after the screen, Garrison has to sprint back with his hands up to try to deflect or dissuade any pass from going through. If that execution takes place, Kobe's done his job, Garrison's done his job, and the other three guys have not been forced to come and help and have been able to stay with their man. And now Kobe's just guarding the dribbler at the top of the key. He's at 22 feet, and we're no worse for the wear. But that's not what always happens, right? If Kobe doesn't fight over the screen and recover to cut him off at the top of the key, if the hedge was not done correctly, if we didn't communicate that the screen was coming, now that guy gets to 15 feet instead of 22, and Kobe's on his hip instead of in front of him. So what happens now? Now Kenny has to squeeze in off of his man to try to prevent a layup. Could open up a three. Garrison maybe didn't sprint back, and now his man rolls and gets a layup. Other people have to help. Maybe the dribbler goes all the way to the – the whole thing breaks down is the point, right? So at the point of the screen, if we communicate early, we try not to let the guy use the screen at all and force him to the corner, or if he's going to use it, you've got to fight over the screen as Kobe. Make sure he's rerouted if you're Garrison. Kobe's got to hustle to get back and cut him off, and then Garrison has to go reclaim his man. That's how we're taught to do it. But if you mess up any of those things, the defense immediately breaks down and you're in that kind of four-on-three, five-on-four scenario that we've seen so often. That was a long answer, but that's basically how it's taught. Yeah, and it's either an open three that most college guys are going to make or it's a layup that all of college guys except that Davidson guy, I think it was the Davidson guy, struggled mightily underneath finishing. But it's fascinating to watch, and that's why – I like the small lineup that North Carolina can play because as somebody on the message board said, it's good when you have everybody can switch and you're not not worse for the wear. So speak to the difference. You've talked about defending it with a traditional big and Garrison Brooks speak to defending it with um, say the small lineup with Luke's the only big. And now instead of Garrison there, maybe you've got Cam Johnson or maybe you've got Nasir Little. Right. You effectively become the Houston Rockets from last year, right? They just decided as they made their run to the Western Conference Finals that Clint Capella, their big, who, you know, call him our Luke, not comparing them athletically in any way. I'm just saying as far as effectively having four perimeter players and one quasi big, they just said, we're athletic enough. We're switching every single screen, everything that anybody does. We're switching, 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 switching. And it can be very effective, especially at the college level, where you're going to have less of the Steph Curry, Kyrie Irving types that when they switch and get a four, three hybrid, five man, whatever on them, their eyes light up and they just say, look, I'm just going to dance, 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 and I can make 10 threes and kill these guys. Those type of players typically don't exist in college. So for us, if we just said, hey, we're going to play our small lineup, Kobe, Kenny, Cam, Nasir and Luke, and we're just going to switch everything. Part of me really likes that. I think the only issue you have is when Luke gets switched on to the other team's best ball handler and best penetrator, that he may have a hard time keeping the ball in front of him, and that guy's going to get into the paint and maybe make plays. Uh, But in that scenario, if, if I'm coaching, I say, look, let's switch everything, including every ball screen, every down screen, every cross screen. And if Luke gets switched onto the other team's best perimeter uh, penetrator or their best shooter, he's going to play off him a little bit. And let's dare this guy to make 10 threes. And if he makes 10 threes, we're probably going to lose. But I like those odds. So for me, 
if our bigs and our point guards can't show that we can keep the ball out of the lane, pick and roll or not, I like, hey, just go small. Switch everything and make somebody beat us and crush us from the perimeter because the flip side is we're pretty tough to guard when we're on offense. You know, the last point to make, though, is we struggle on the backboard with that size uh, of lineup in there. But at least defensively, you would think we'd be able to keep the ball out of the lane. We'll take a break, come back. We'll dig some more into this. Uh, It's pretty interesting to hear you talk about it, and uh, we'll do more when I come back. Dewey, we talked about the small lineup. For the small lineup to be effective, Nas Little needs to be good. And he's getting better, and he looks more and more comfortable. Speak to what you've seen. Um, I kind of picked on him a little bit with, with his eyes being off on the defensive side some, but even that's gotten better. Talk about his progression um, since the beginning of the year. And, and this, I think the schedule, um, just as an aside, I think the way the schedule was set up has made this a weird year thus far anyway. But speak to Nas's progression through November, through the disjointed December until now. Last couple games, I think he's really shown some progress. I think the game is finally slowing down for him, which is important. It's not everything's not moving so quickly, and he's trying to think of all the things that Coach Williams taught him in practice, and then also the fact that I'm so athletic, I should be able to get to the rim, and I've always been able to create my own shot, and I've been able to get away with things athletically, even if that was a subconscious thing. I think he has heard enough of the coaching and been through enough practices and played against enough good competition every day, whether it's game or practice, that it's finally slowing down for him. Uh, You see him getting more active around the offensive glass, which is such an emphasis for us. He's not, at least in the last couple games, forcing as many bad long twos. He's trying to attack the glass, got out in transition nicely. He's finding a way to fit in to the way that we play. He still gets a little lost defensively. I think just the basic principles that we try to execute on defensively being in help side, one pass away, being in deny, guarding the ball screen. He's still learning those things. I think he's a smart kid and a great kid, but his basketball IQ is still coming along. And that's one thing, even as much as you recruit kids and and watch them play, you don't honestly know until you have them in your own gym, in your own practice, to find out, does he really know how to play? Or do we have to bring him along on the mental side more than maybe we thought? And I think that's what happened with Nasir. I think ridiculously gifted, wants to be good, works at it like crazy, but he's learning how to play. And when you're learning how to play, you're thinking constantly and it slows you down. You can't just be an athlete. So I think that transition will continue to take place. He's going to understand every day more and more where coach wants him to be, what he wants him to do. And by hopefully February, he can just play because he's got it. He's figured it out where he's supposed to be, what he's supposed to do, what he's not supposed to do. And then we can really see him shine. It just takes guys a little longer sometimes. As far as starting, I I think it's pretty cemented and maybe it'll change. Do you think uh, he'll slide into that small ball starting lineup or do you think this is just how it's going to be? And of course, there are many variables that could happen over the next few weeks, but we're about to start ACC play with Carolina at Pittsburgh. And as of right now, I, I think Garrison's still in that starting lineup. And we thought that maybe Nas would be there by now. 
Does that make a difference? I know it does for people listening and people posting on message boards and people on Twitter have tried to make it a big deal. But ultimately, does it make a difference? I mean, if you're asking my opinion, of course, no. But there's, I understand the psychological part of starting, of hearing your name called and being out there from the tip. And the way you kind of go through your warm up, knowing you're starting is probably a little different than when you know you're coming off the bench and you're going to have a chance to watch for four to six minutes. So there's some psychology to it. But at the end of the day, it, how did you play when you were on the court? And if anything, were you on the court at the end when, if it was a tight game, when it mattered most? I mean, that's the simplest answer, right? Is who cares who plays the first six minutes, who played the last six? And uh, my hope is as he progresses that he's going to be playing the last six minutes of these conference games. You know, and as far as starting, you know, the interesting part about this, we've talked a lot about defense. Coach plays Garrison because he's the best defensive big that we have. But if we struggle in conference, lose two in a row at some point, and we're not doing better defensively, I think all bets are off. I mean, we've seen him make changes a quarter, a half away through conference. He put PJ in and started him when we went small. My junior year, he pulled Marcus Skinnerd out of the starting lineup and put Wes Miller in. You know, he's not afraid to make changes when you need to shake something up. So I think if there if there's a a period where we struggle, maybe lose a couple, three out of four, or something like that. If he's going to shake it up, that's the logical change. Yeah, looking at the numbers, uh, Nas, 19 and a half minutes a game. Garrison Brooks, only 18, eight. So pretty pretty much a wash there. It's How many people on the message boards do you think know that he plays more minutes than Garrison? I would wager um, very little. Very few. 19, five to 18, eight. Interesting stat right there. I think Nas is in at the end, and that's, like you said, what matters. Kobe White, we'll talk about the other freshman that's getting the most run. And that's it's funny how, you know, Roy doesn't play freshman, but Kobe's the starting point guard. Your overall thoughts as a fellow point guard watching him, I think he's really settled down a little bit. Well, a lot these last couple ball games. I think you're right. For the most part, he has. He looks comfortable. He still turns the ball over a little more than you would hope from any point guard. But you got to remember, he's a freshman. I think he had five turnovers against Gonzaga and maybe four or five again against, yeah, four against Kentucky. So could he take care of the ball a little bit better? Sure. But again, he's still learning. We've talked about this before. I'll go to battle with that kid any day. He the the way his motor and his heart burns to play, that's the kind of guy you want on your team. I mean, he hasn't shot the ball that well the last four or five games, but he's one of the things we've talked about on this podcast is if you're a good three-point shooter, and he is, even though he hasn't shot a great the last couple, you also have to be a willing shooter. And we've talked over the years, Marcus Page, Joel Berry, Cam Johnson now, Luke I feel this way about, there are, there are guys that they cannot shoot it enough when it's a good open three. And I do feel that way about Kobe. Some of them, when he's off the dribble and he's guarded, contested, no pass possession, maybe not the best shot, but still, he has the ability to get going in a hurry. We saw that against Texas, against UCLA. I love when he hunts his shot. I think it helps our offense. It takes pressure off of Luke and Cam, who aren't necessarily gifted at creating their own shot. It really has to come out of the offense. He's the guy who can go get you one when you need it, and I think he'll continue to progress. He needs to be better guarding the ball. 
He needs to take care of the ball better. But I, I want him to continue to hunt his shot. You know, right there in the middle of the of the uh, set of whatever it's been, 13 games, Texas he shot 17 times, St. Francis 11, UCLA 11, Michigan 12. You know, he was getting more and more looks. The Davidson game only shooting seven times. I know he struggled, but he's got to be in that 11 to 15 field goal attempt range, I think, for us to really have a chance to be successful. He's got to score. He's got to find people, and he's got to take care of the ball. Let's uh, keep going on the good. Let's talk about Cameron Johnson. Uh, I said it before. I'll say it again. I think he's the best player on this basketball team. At least he's playing the best on the basketball team. Uh, He gets to go back to Pittsburgh on Saturday. Just speak to how he's played and what he's meant to North Carolina. Because going into last season, nobody, including Cam Johnson, thought he'd be around this season. And he's been a difference maker thus far. Yeah, he's been our best offensive player, no question. And him being healthy and having the ability to be just a little bit quicker so that he's been able to get to the rim, create separation a little bit to get some shots off off the bounce. Uh, He was an above average rebounder and passer last year, which we didn't know coming in. Uh, So that that is continued. And just an absolute assassin from outside. Every time he shoots it, I think it's going in. And uh, like we just talked about with Kobe, can't shoot it enough for me. I mean, I'm looking at his three-point attempts for, you know, game over game, and the most he's taken, eight. Would anybody have a problem if Cam Johnson shot 12 threes a game? No, right, because he's going to make four to six of them. So for me, can't shoot it enough, can't get to the line enough because he's going to make free throws. And again, because of the way our team is structured, Cam, Luke, and Kobe – they really have to score for us to be competitive in the ACC. Kenny Williams and Luke May, 44% from the field for Luke, uh, 38% for Kenny Williams. Did you see that coming? And what has to happen for those guys to get it in gear shooting-wise? They're, you know, they're playing hit or miss. I think Luke's been better than Kenny. Kenny's struggled mightily at times. But we've talked about the finality of a senior season. They're in the middle of it and hear ACC play coming around the corner. Yeah, I think, to be fair, both of them have struggled shooting the ball. Just just strictly look at percentages, right? I mean, Kenny's shooting 26% from three. Luke's shooting 34, which is not bad, but I don't know off the top of my head what he was last year, but it certainly felt like it was better than that. And, you know, both of them have been just okay. You know, I mean, I know Kenny's our best perimeter defender, but at times he's made mistakes defensively that seniors shouldn't make. And, Luke is our preseason All-American and obviously has had an unbelievable last couple of years and career for us, but he's turning the ball over a lot the way a senior shouldn't. I think he's maybe second or third on our team in, in turnovers, which shouldn't happen for, for a post player. So they can still improve and be better. And so, look, the hope is we get into conference with the finality of it, the last ride sentiment. I, you know, for when I speak about Kenny, I hope he has one of those games where he makes five or six threes and snaps out of it and then can be a 40% three-point shooter because really that's what we need from him. We need for him to make open shots, make free throws when he gets fouled, and be a great defender. If he can do that and shoot it at a better clip, we're going to be much more dangerous. And then for Luke, you know, it's he's the focal point a lot of the time of the other team's defense. There's no secret anymore about who Luke May is. So he's getting the biggest, the most athletic defender. And I think it's been more difficult for him to surprise people and score 
whereas last year he was surprising everybody. It felt like almost every night. So he still had a couple of those games where it, it was like last year, Luke, the Gonzaga game, obviously 20 and 16. Um, I'd like to see him maybe take better care of the ball, take a higher quality of shots. And if he's not scoring, really be as good as he can be on the backboard and defensively and hustling because there are going to be games when he's playing against big athletic post guys where it's hard for him to score. So he's got to help us in other ways. We'll take another quick break, come back. We're going to talk about expectations, the ACC, and I've got a couple random questions that I've been thinking about, wanted to ask you and get your insight on those as well. We'll be right back. All right, Dewey, I've mentioned it several times. Everybody knows Carolina's at Pittsburgh on Saturday. I believe it's at noon up there. First game of the ACC season. Uh, How have your expectations for this North Carolina basketball team this season changed, if they have, since before that first game back in November? I thought we'd be better defensively than we are. And I think I may, without thinking about it critically, just in my mind was saying, we've got a bunch of seniors, we've got experienced guys, we're going to blend in a couple freshmen, but we should really be able to guard because we understand how we're supposed to play. But understanding it and executing it are two different things. So that's the biggest thing for me is is we're behind defensively where I thought we would be. I think I was pretty honest with myself that if we didn't make a lot of threes, we would have a hard time scoring because we don't have a true post presence. We don't have a couple bigs like coaches had in the past or we can run our traditional secondary. So offensively, I would say we're about where I thought we'd be. We're, when we're good, we're really good and lethal and making shots and running and seems like nobody could beat us. And then when we struggle and we can't get any easy looks and you couple that with not getting stops and we're trying to do everything in the half court, it's hard for us to to get to 75 points. And we don't have a lot of guys other than Kobe that can create their own. So I would say offensively, we are about where I thought we'd be. Defensively, we're behind. And uh, the hope is, however coach figures it out, if it's going to be going small or giving the seer minutes at the four and the three and mixing it up, whatever the case, that he finds a groove, which he typically does, and when we start playing better. Carolina, that second game goes to NC State, who knocked off Miami this evening, uh, which is a pretty good win for the Wolfpack. Miami's one of their best players, ruled ineligible for the season, uh, and missed that game. But your thoughts on the ACC outside of Carolina, or where does Carolina fit in the ACC going into it? I, I think your national guys are going to have – the team down the road up there, Virginia up there, NC State's making some noise. This is one of those seasons that really winning them at home, you have to cover home base um, or you could get in trouble because the ACC is loaded. Where does Carolina fit going into it? Uh, we'll revisit this question after the season as well. So uh, this is recorded. Give me your answer on that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, look, it, it feels like we have the ability when we play our best to be right there with Duke and Virginia. But it's going to be one of those years where the difference between who finishes third in the conference and ninth is like a game or two. Uh, and so I think everybody's going to win games that they should win and and lose games that they shouldn't. You know, Duke's going to go on the road and lose a game or two that nobody would have expected them to lose. And we'll do the same thing, and Virginia will too. So, you know, if we shoot the ball great and defend better, I can see us being the two or three seed coming in the ACC tournament. 
if we don't improve defensively and we don't make a lot of shots and we struggle to score, we could finish 10th. We could, you know, eighth or 10th, somewhere in there. Um, you know, 500 uh, gets you into the tournament. I think that is more than a reasonable expectation given the personnel that we have, but no nights off in this conference. So we have got to figure out a way to bring it on the defensive end. And if we do that, there isn't any reason that we can't win two thirds of our games in this conference. But if we don't guard or something crazy happens, like somebody gets hurt, you know, we're thin in terms of a Kobe White goes down or a Luke May or a Cam Johnson goes down. You got issues. So we got to stay healthy and we got to guard. And the level that you have to play at these road games, it's just different. And we'll find out if we're ready. A couple questions I was going to ask you, and I mentioned it earlier. I watched this team play. And I see, you know, Luke May a couple times post up. I saw Garrison Brooks post up a couple times in pretty good position, but did not get the ball in time, did not get the ball in the right spot. Speak to the, I mean, it's almost like a science, a good point guard or a good uh, post-entry passer. Speak to that portion of how easy it makes the games for bigs. Sure. And you're talking about, you know, timing effectively is, is what you're asking. And I also think there's another wrinkle to that, and it's it's your personnel. You know, even again, if even if it's subconscious and you didn't directly have this thought, how successful have we been when we throw the ball into Garrison or into Sterling? It's not one of those situations where you feel the same as you did throwing it into Bryce Johnson or throwing it into Tyler Hansborough, right? That's a different feeling and 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 a different concept altogether. So I do think there's part of that. It's knowing your personnel, like I'm going to throw this in here and he's, he's been trained and works on making a post move and shooting the ball. How high a percentage of look is that for us? Now Luke is different, right? You can throw it into Luke. He can turn and face. He can shoot a jumper, try to drive by. You're going to have confidence in throwing the ball into him. If you're Kobe or the other perimeter players. So I think there's a little bit of that. And then for Kobe, the simplicity of it, just making getting to the angle on the sideline and making the proper bounce pass is probably clouded by all the things he's trying to think about. You know, if we're running a secondary set or a box set and I'm looking, what's my second option? And I got to protect the ball. And hopefully Luke received a proper screen to be open. And all those things you're thinking about, you can't just react and get the ball there on time. So that should improve especially when, like you said, it's throwing the ball into Luke or throwing the ball into Nasir. But I do think there is some element of our bigs aren't necessarily gifted at scoring. So should I really throw this this ball in there? Is this the right play? Is he going to make the right play? I'm not saying it's a lack of trust. It's just it's saying, look, you know, is this the highest percentage place to put the ball for our team to try to get a basket? And I've kind of thought, and it's not a knock, but it, it's it's about chemistry too, right? I mean, being used to playing with people, I, I don't know. I just, I've seen, I felt like getting the ball to the bigs in the right spot at the right time is more important than ever this year. Um, you mentioned Bryce Johnson, Kennedy Meeks, those guys, Hansborough, those guys would just vacuum up everything and they're going to score no matter where the ball is. That's it's just been interesting to watch for me seeing the bigs 
struggle, and I, I don't necessarily think it's 100% on them, um, but you explained that trust, and I, I think I certainly agree with that. Um, it's something to watch because, like you mentioned, if Carolina doesn't shoot it well from three-point range, they struggle to score, and I think that might be an issue down the stretch in ACC play, don't you think? Absolutely. I mean, you know, there's a reason the Warriors win championships because they have three of the ten best shooters of all time. You know, we don't have that yet. We're going to shoot threes because a lot of times they're the easiest or most convenient opportunity we have to score because we don't have those elite bigs in the post that you can throw it down there and feel really good about them shooting 60, 65 percent on the shots they're going to take. It's just not that type of dynamic. It clearly appears like we have a kid coming next year that's going to get us back to that. But at this point, we are who we are, and we're going to create shots, hopefully in transition after getting stops. And then when it's in the half court, we're going to rely on perimeter scoring and shooting. Even Luke, who's our best big, he likes to shoot from the outside more than than banging the post. So we're going to live and die by the jump shot a lot of the time. We have gifted shooters. But again, if you get stops, everything is easier because we can get in – into transition and get easier baskets, but you can't not get stops and be poor on the defensive end and then not be able to get easy baskets in the half court. That formula doesn't work. And if we play that way, we're going to have games where we score 55, 60 points and lose. It's going to be fun to watch. I mean, like I said earlier, the ACC is loaded. Uh, This team has to grow. I think will grow. It's going to be a testament to how much Roy Williams can pull out of them, how much Luke and Kenny and Cam Johnson can pull out of the younger guys. Dewey, I know what we'll be doing. We'll be talking about it a plenty as the season continues to progress on. Appreciate you taking time out of your busy day to join me. Thanks, man. Thanks, Tommy. Talk soon. Thanks for listening to InsideCarolina.com, the independent voice of UNC sports. Your home for Tar Heel football, basketball, and recruiting.